Do you know that New York's vertical highways total 1,700 miles? Far there out. 5,000 buildings up. in greater New York in 1936, more than 20 stories tall, 300 more than 30 stories tall, 10,000 are more than 6 stories tall. Well, of a story on every one. 3,000 are on Manhattan. The number of people using elevators in these 10,000 buildings total more than 4 million daily. These 10,000 buildings are served Off by mic. approximately 30,000 elevators. The shafts, if placed in straight line, would extend from New York to Denver, Colorado, a distance of more than 1,700 miles. If all the girls advanced were shafted shafts. end to end, it would go all the way from here. The total height of the elevator shafts in the 102-story Empire State Building alone would reach within three miles of the highest point reached by the National Geographic U.S. Army... U.S. Army Stratosphere Balloon. U.S. Army? U.S. Army, right. Army, 13.71 miles. Of 250,000 service employees for these buildings, 75,000 are elevator operators. In and a department store. Do you remember that rock and roll song? Does anybody remember I was an uh -huh. elevator operator in a department store? Ding, ding. Oh, yeah, Did anybody ever that. hear that? No. Oh, yes. Jive? That's like the fish. Yeah. Oh, come on, That's somebody. That's like the salmon the, the fish heads. I don't remember. That's, no, it's not by up. Sammy and the fish heads. It's a real <laughs> song. An elevator I thought a great group sister. today. A great what, group, what? Hashish and the Assassins. Hashish and the Assassins, right? <laughs> right. Singing off groove, the old man in the mountains. Uh, Want to talk about the Renaissance Fair a little bit? Sure. Renaissance Fair. So you were all air to it all doing ADO broadcasts from the Renaissance Fair air. Right yeah. before electricity was erected. 1652. David, under it doesn't work. David Osman. No, was, it all has to be done. Uh, it all has to be done as it were, viva voce, which is why I'm, my voce yeah. is not terribly viva right now. Because well, they didn't what have we were doing today was things like, <clears throat> my lords and ladies, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth is here, presented among you, and give her good. Uh, or whatever. Off with a nose. Right. Now, your voice. <clears throat> Your voice is like that elephant being hanged. <laughs> yeah, right. It is the same amount of pathos in me. <laughs> Yes, it's easy. <laughs> learn to use your diaphragm, or are you on the pills? <laughs> I want to tell you about. I, I want to tell you about tiny belly day. dancing, though, because I Salt have the pills. Nice, nicest time I've ever had out on a fair was Saturday. Yes, you did once, and I was there. No, well, I was there, man, on the Golden Toad stage, and you had two dumbbecks and oud. Space. Udivit. He was Udivit, right. He was on LSD oh, playing the Oud, and there wasn't even an instrument there. And there were two Dumbecks. and Joe Cocker. <laughs> the two Dumbecks were small boys with stretched scalps from Turkey. And they were being played, and Tiny was belly dancing, man, and doing the finger symbols at the same time and in her beautiful costume. And I have to tell you that I got so carried away, I started doing things like... <laughs> and uh, all those anyway. Turkish expletives. And David was that. pounding away, and we were all doing the drums. He was playing Gene Krupa snare drum in the background. <laughs> the fair people kept coming over and saying, Where are those drums? He said, They're the best in the West. They said, Just as long as it isn't Eastern, it's okay. <laughs> and um, it was a lovely fair. I had a wonderful time, and that was the best time I've ever had at any fair was seeing you. It'll be on for Bella another dance. two weekends for anybody who'd like to come out and. Uh, See the cold and toes. See, Don't miss it's them. really nice. It's it's yeah. this this year I think is the nicest year since mm, five years ago. The first the first of the fairs since fifteen eighty eight. The first fair. That's right. Pretty great. Pretty great. When Armada year. Right. Good year for fairs. Yes, yeah, a lot of good year shoes. I took pictures for the very first time this year. I I got out the Super Eight and started taking some pictures, and I discovered that that is it, it is absolutely a photographer's paradise mm -hmm. because everybody is there to be looked at, and you know everybody's there 
to be seen and to show themselves to other people, which is the most wonderful kind of atmosphere anyway, to, to, you know, to enjoy the community of other people. And, and if you just point a camera anywhere and just let it run, you just can't help you but get fascinating and beautiful pictures. On the, oh, uh, yeah, the, the costumes. Uh, the so opening parade, which happens at noon, it, everybody who is uh, free to get away from their booth and all the entertainers and masked bands right. and so forth, there are three or four large bands this year all come marching down the hill and what they are met with is a thousand fisheye lenses they're just mm. everybody <laughs> right. has a camera and uh, uh, yeah there'll be a lot of pictures of the, of the fair around this year I think. let's play we got we have a renaissance song here before you, put you do it on, yeah we have a renaissance song and for the fair because uh, we thought it would be kind of appropriate we'd like to do some kind of like historical segues so this is uh, come all ye sons in art by Alfred Dreller and the Event Chorus. Splish splash, I was taking a bath All about a Saturday night Rubbed up, just relaxing in the tub Thinking everything was alright Well, I stepped out the tub Put my feet on the floor I wrapped the towel around me And I opened the door And in a splish I jumped back in the bath Well, how was I to know there was a party going on? It was a fishing and a splash Reeling with the feeling Moving and a crew yeah. Oddly enough, it was while taking a hot shower that Mr. Lord pounced on a subject that offered excellent possibilities for a game. America likes to play and is willing to pay for its fun. Right now, it is playing a new game called Monopoly. Already the fastest-selling non-card pastime in the country in 1936, Monopoly bids fair to break all-time popularity records. Like Parcheesi, Monopoly is played by shaking dice and moving tokens around a spaced board. <laughs> spaced players. But there the similarity ends. The Monopoly player is furnished at the outset with a handful of script money. <laughs> when his dice... <laughs> When his dice land him in an unoccupied street, he may purchase holdings there and may levy rent from any other player unfortunate enough to fall on his domain. If he's clever, he may acquire hotels, utilities, and railroads. Oh, the railroads are the best. The ultimate object, of course, is to maneuver assets so cunningly that all other players are left bankrupt with the winner holding all. The spendthrift player who manages his finances poorly finds himself utterly ruined. Just like life. Monopoly, though it has taken hold only during the past year, oh, let go, uh, has more than three decades of history behind it. Mm -hmm. In 1904, a young woman of Virginia named Mrs. Elizabeth Maggie Phillips devised a game which she called Landlord. Her motive was not to make money, nor primarily to furnish amusement. <laughs> I conceived the game of landlord to interest people in the single tax plan of the great economist Henry George, said Mrs. Phillips recently. We played at his school. <laughs> the game continued to be played by a small, in a small way, and in 1924, Mrs. Phillips patented a variation on it which she called the landlord's game. This version later was taken up by, uh, uh, by no, uh, yes, Charles B. Darrow of Philadelphia. Darrow revised the game and patented it. In 1931, he sold a few sets to friends and finally interested a large Philadelphia department store in the idea. Parker Brothers of Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, Foremost manufacturers hotel, of, of games in the country at first rejected Monopoly because, in their opinion, it required too many parts and took too long to play, three hours or more. 
By spring, however, the game attained such popularity that the Salem firm bought it under the patents of both Mrs. Phillips and Mr. Darrow. While Monopoly was beginning its amazing rise, Oswald B. Lord, a young textile executive in New York City, set his agile mind to devising a game with a new twist. And he got into a game about politics, and that's another story. Play, entirely. play, play. Play, play, play money. Play and, and one other little thing from this 1936, this is a, that was, Wacko, a, a benefit of Wacko, this incredible Mechanics Illustrated. That was the first year then of Monopoly, and, I guess and so, it was a huge game right from the beginning. Then. Yep, That's it was. <clears throat> uh, it, has, it has an article about uh, called Outshooting the Guns of Gangland about uh, radio, the police, and it just has one interesting little thing. Back of the brilliant shooting which dazzles spectators at police ranges lies long, steady practice and training which is making police marksmanship feared by the underworld as never before. A modern police department today, in 1939, is really, as uh, 36, is really a miniature army, complete from its arsenals, bristling with submachine guns, riot guns, high-powered rifles and sidearms, drew grenades and guns which lay down a barrage of gas. There are armored cars with bulletproof windows and shielded tires, forming veritable tanks for street warfare. Armored motorcycles with machine guns or automatic pistols mounted between handlebars. Most important of all, however, is a well-trained line of sharpshooting officers, etc., etc. Do you know what happened to the American police dream? In 1936, they were ready to go to war, right? And they even had the whole Nazi thing of having... That wonderful fantasy of having a machine gun mounted on a motorcycle. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a real, that's a fantasy I've had, man. You know, it's like mounting a machine gun on the front of my car when I used to drive through Illinois. Just, you know, it's a long drive. And having, you know, having knives out the side that cut down billboards and telephone poles, <laughs> pressing a little button on my steering wheel. They were ready to go, man. And what happened is they didn't get a chance to go out in the streets against Al Capone and those people. No chance. It never happened that way because we went to war against the Japanese and we took in the entire gangland structure to help us make the war. And by the time the cops came out, at the end of World War II, they had to wait, and by the time they waited to get anybody in the street, which is now, nobody really has the feeling to do it. I mean, it's, the, the kids are not Al Capone. There isn't that feeling. You can't... The, the, the Viet Cong and the students in the universities do not have the hate, you know, image put against them that the goops seem to have a similar liking did. for banks, though. For yeah. banks, yes. Yeah, true. Banks. You know, I if mean, they could be held up as, as burglars or bank robbers, but they didn't rob the bank. They just burned it down. There's no money there anyway. Just a lot of molten bank America cards, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the smell must have been terrible.